You're listening to the Prevailing Word podcast channel and also on our Prevailing Word live YouTube channel. I'm Pastor Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Let's get right into the message. Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. I want to begin at uh, verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. I want to go back up into verse 6 because verse 6 stands out. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. The missing link has always been obedience. We uh, oftentimes talk so much about faith and we leave out a critical component And that critical component is obedience. And we wonder why certain things aren't working as they should. We wonder why all of a sudden things are falling apart. There is a difference between the thorn in the flesh when you are doing right or when you are persecuted for just being a child of God and the... um, the world wants to get at you and get under your skin, but you refuse to, and you stand. The Bible does tell us in the uh, book of uh, Ephesians, having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. But when it comes to obedience, I find that this subject is lacking in many circles. Here in verse 6, the Lord says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. The first time that the children of Israel had been around the presence of God was when they were released uh, from uh, Passover on the day of Passover to to go into their own land. And they saw all the mighty works, the mighty miracles that the, that that God gave to them to show them that he is God. Yet the children of Israel had an obedience problem. And so the Lord from time to time had to show him, show Israel who's the boss. And from time to time, some of us in our individual walks of life, 
we will be shown who's the boss because we think that we got it like that. And so we always have to walk humbly before the Lord our God, which is what we'll get into in a, in a, in a few moments. Now go into the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus the 19th chapter and verse 1. Remember what he said in verse 6 that you are to walk in his ways and to fear him. Over the years in current teaching and in teachings uh, years ago, we've sort of glossed over the true meaning of the word fear. Um, the word fear means to be afraid. I know that sometimes, and I've done it, and, and oftentimes in error, but I was trying to be like them, which is a dumb thing to do. Um, when, when you're called to preach, you don't call, you're not called to preach to be like them. You're called to preach to be like him, Jesus. So if you want to be popular, preach what they're, pop, what, what they're preaching. But if you don't want to be popular, preach what he's preaching. Verse 1 in Exodus chapter 19. So the fear of the Lord is clear. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim, uh, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain, and Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the, to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. See, it's a condition. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You see, if you want to be a special treasure, Israel, Above all people, do two things. Obey my voice and keep my covenant. Covenant means arrangement, but it also ha has these meaning, be in league, alliance, agreement, Agreement between God and man. Alliance of friendship. Covenant. Divine ordinance with signs or pledges. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now doesn't this sound familiar? Sounds familiar because of what Peter said. 
that when we come into Christ, that we are a chosen people. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll get back to Exodus in a moment. In verse 1. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Can you see how the two is similar? That in Exodus chapter 19, God said in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You also as living stones are built up, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it, is also, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, but to those who are disobedient, but to those who are disobedient. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. You see the price of disobedience? You see, those who are obedient to the word are on the inside. And those that are disobedient are always on the outside. What tends to happen in word of faith circles is that we skirt over and avoid the essentials of what God requires. And again, we put an overemphasis on faith alone. But rarely will you hear obedience. Rarely will you hear the ultimate requirement that God commands and demands of his people. We always forget that one simple four-letter word, obey. We avoid that four-letter word. In fact, obey is a cuss word to those that are in rebellion. But to the true child of God, obedience and to obey is the prerequisite that God commands and demands out of all of his people, whether you're a Jew or you're in Christ. Look at verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation. You see, we, we, we avoid verses 6 and 7. And we run straight to teaching about verse 9. We don't, we don't bother with obedience and disobedience. No, we run to the, to the, to the, to the jugular. We go for the jugular vein in, in faith. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. But we don't understand the requirement of God that puts them in this position to obey, not to disobey. To obey the scriptures is not just in obeying faith things to believe him for. It's to obey him in personal holiness and cleanliness. Because if you're in Christ and you're walking in sin, you're not pleasing before God. We do not avoid, at least those of us that can, we do not avoid getting up in the morning and taking a bath. Because we know that after 24 hours, we're going to smell something, something. So we run straight to the bathroom to wash up, to get our, our flesh clean, because no amount of clothes can cover up stink. How much more should we get cleansed by the Word of God? First thing in the morning, we wash up. Well, why, is it, why isn't it like that in our spirit, man, that, that the first thing that we do is wash up in the spirit. To take the word of God and to cleanse us. Let, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 says. Let us lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls, the book of James chapter 1 tells us. We, we should always look to clean up what we've messed up. To get clean before God before we start the day. We always run to verse 9 without taking inventory of whether or not we we've obeyed God or not. We just assume that if we would just use our faith, we'll always be in favor with God. Yet, we allow sin in our lives. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy... Now, now watch this. A holy nation. How is it that we look at this word holy and we don't treat it for the value that it is? We, we gloss over that word holy. And it means hagios, which is spelled H-A-G-I-O-S. That's the 
Greek word transliterated as holy in our English language. And it comes from the word hagos, which is spelled H-A-G-O-S. And it means sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, or religious. Wait a minute, we're not religious. We're in a relationship. Well, wait a minute, look at the word religious because the word in James chapter 1 tells us that pure religion and unspotted. So you got the word religion there, but the word religion there in James chapter 1 is the word pious, which means to be consecrated. That scripture tells us that we are to be pure and religious. It also tells us what it is about, that we are unspotted from the world, blameless. That's what it means to be religious. Now the world's uh, definition of religious and their actions is doing something to be in appearance. You know, like when you hear most folk, they say, well, I'm not religious. Well, what they're saying is that I'm not involved in a system to make myself appear religious. But religious in the New Testament, as far as believers are concerned, is that you are blameless. You are sacred. You are pure. And that's what is required, commanded and required and demanded of us of God. A holy nation, his own special people. Doesn't that sound familiar from Exodus 19? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, that's the foundation of the gospel. We don't hear that in faith circles. Except that you're using it to get something out of God. Like what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, that godliness for gain. You see, you gotta be you gotta have the attitude like Paul. Attitude the attitude of Paul was that I have to be content no matter what state I'm in. If I suffer lack, I'm content. If I'm full, I'm content. In whatsoever state I am, this is Philippians 4, in whatsoever state I am, I am content. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. If you're not content in the situation that you're in, then you cannot do all things through Christ which strengthens you. You see, we like to isolate that scripture. Well, he can do all things through Christ which strengthens us, but we don't see the, the background, the backdrop of what Paul was speaking of. We completely avoid it. Paul knew how to be content when he suffered lack. And Paul knew how to be content when he was full. And if you can't be content in your moment of lack, then you cannot do all things through Christ which strengthens you. Essentially, you are a fake and false. 
If you hear yourself complaining all the time, if you're hearing yourself giving God an attitude, then it's evident that you cannot do all things through Christ which strengthens you. So then it says here that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Just as a little side issue. You see we've, we've heard so much about grace but very little on mercy. Whenever you hear somebody talk about grace all the time and never talk about mercy, you need to pay attention. Because grace, we all know, is God doing something for you that you can't do for yourself. Or giving something to you that you don't deserve. But mercy is God preventing himself from giving you and I what we rightfully deserve. We all deserve hell. Every last one of us. But because of his mercy. But because of his mercy. Yes, because of his grace, no doubt. But because of his mercy, we can have peace with God. Have you ever wondered why Paul said grace, mercy, and peace? He's telling us a message here. That you're receiving this salvation because of his grace giving you mercy so that way you can be at peace with God. Because we were all enemies. Every last one of us. But when we began to see how we've disrespected God, dishonored him, offended him, we come back to our senses and begin to tap into the grace of God. And begin to Understand the magnitude of his mercy. Look at that again in verse 10. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Go back to Exodus 19. Verse 5. Now remember, we, we're, we're, we're gleaning from uh, Deuteronomy 8 and, and verse 6 where it says, If you keep my commandments and walk in them and walk in fear, be in fear, we're, we're going to find out the kind of fear that Israel is, is supposed to have walked in. Because the Lord already instructed them. You saw what I did to Egypt. You see, what he did to Egypt was because they were being judged for their sin. It wasn't just the releasing of the children of Israel. It was also about judging Egypt for their sin. Now, I've done this to Egypt. You saw what I did. And a lot of people, you know, we gloss over, we gloss over those, those moments that Egypt saw flies numerous too numerous to count locusts darkness that they can feel yes they were miraculous blood in the river they couldn't have fresh water frogs 
You see, it was nothing pleasant about the power of God in that sense. There was nothing pleasant about that, except for the fact that Israel was in the land of Goshen, protected from that judgment. Except for the Passover. The only protection that they would enjoy is if they did what God commanded them to do on that day. You see, from plagues 1 to 9, they didn't have to do anything. But plague 10, they had to do something. Because the death angel would pass through. Not just Egypt, but also in Israel. Because he said, take a lamb, take its blood, put it on the doorpost and on the lentil. And when I see the blood on the doorpost, I will pass over. So not only was he judging Egypt, but anybody that didn't have the, door, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, they too were judged. Huh. We, we don't think about those aspects. At least I didn't until this, until this moment. I didn't think about that. So again, verse 5 in Exodus 19. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we know where Peter got this from, didn't we? These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. You see, that's why you have to be careful when you say something like that. Because when you say something like that, you got to pay up. It's either put up or shut up. Never make a vow before the Lord and not pay. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. There's something about the third day here. Remember the third day the Lord was raised from the dead. Friday he was crucified. Saturday, Friday night buried in the tomb. Saturday in the tomb. Sunday coming out of the tomb. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds. The word bounds are like rope. Have you ever been to a movie theater and they would have, well, they don't use rope anymore. It's like a expand, a span, expanding type of system. But Moses had to set rope. At the, at the base of the mountain, so that way the people will not go up to the mountain nor touch the base. 
Look at verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Have you ever remembered what it says, just as a side issue, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Lord says that at the last trump, the dead in Christ will, will rise first? I mean, if there's a last trump, there has to be a first trump. Right? Doesn't it make sense? Because why would you say last? Now, we all know that in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, the third, uh, the, the, the second plague, rather, would be seven trumpets, which would be, would be the plagues that the Lord would, would cast upon the world. But the last trumpet is not the last trumpet in the seven. That's this, this is a different trumpet. So when you see 1 Corinthians 15, where it says the last trump, when did the first trump happen? Right here. This is the first trumpet sound. Verse 13, not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Now you kind of wonder, who's, who's who the one blowing the trumpet? Well, we don't know at this point. But could have been could have been an angel, possibly. Could have been the Lord himself, possibly. Verse 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. You see, what God was doing was giving them a display, a pure display of his presence. A pure display of his awesome presence for one purpose, that he is to be feared. You see, while we are in this dispensation of grace, God's presence never changed. He is still fire from his loins upward to his loins downward. He is still hidden in the cloud because if he exposes himself in front of people here on earth, no one would live. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, to meet with God. God is the same. He hasn't changed. Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord. I change not. The father of lights in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. 
He is the same. When he appeared on the mount, when Jesus was transfigured, he came down in the cloud. He is to be feared above all gods. That's why there was, a, there was an interesting uh, study, quick 18-minute study, I think it was, that Living Waters had put out about near-death experiences. And folks, near-death experiences happen, but you don't see what you really see. A lot of them that explained about near-death experiences talk about seeing a bright light. Many of them have even said, yeah, I've seen Jesus. This one person said, me and Jesus was having a conversation. We were talking, and then she cussed. She said, yeah, me and Jesus, we were talking like we were best friends. Be leery of anyone that claims to have seen Jesus. Because if you really did see him, you would be scared out of your wits. You would be in fear and in trembling if you really saw him. That's why you have to take with a grain of salt when you hear stories, oh, I've seen Jesus, I've been to heaven. No, you haven't. I don't believe it for one moment. Besides, I have a more sure word of prophecy right here. The scriptures. I can't trust what you saw because if you really saw what you saw, you would, first of all, it would be such a sacred moment you wouldn't even repeat it. You wouldn't even talk about it. You would keep it to yourself. So when you hear somebody say, I seen Jesus, Walk out. There ain't nothing there. Nothing, nothing to see, nothing to hear. Walk out. And Moses brought the people out, verse 17, of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. In other words, beyond the smoke was his presence. Beyond the smoke was his presence. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire, its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Look, if you're in the presence of God where you are, his presence is, there's, there's no way possible that what is physical can contain him or hold him. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. I mean, I've played trumpet before in junior high school and a little bit of high school, drum bugle corps. And a trumpet is a loud instrument. There, there are times when the music for a trumpet is, is, is 
accenting and then there are times when the trumpet is prominent. But in this case, the trumpet blast was long, was sounding long and became louder and louder. And Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Let me tell you something, Moses must have been in shape. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to gaze at the Lord. And many of them perish. And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves. To consecrate yourself means simply to clean yourself, to be cleansed. Let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come, to, come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. Now if you go into chapter 20, you'll see that the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. God demonstrated his presence, then he gave them the commandments, ten of them. But go down into Exodus 20 and verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to, to Moses, you speak, with, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. Wow. They, that was when they saw the awesome presence of God and was in fear, great fear. So much fear that man, Mo, Moses, will talk with you, but God, nah, you don't have anything to do with him. We don't want to speak with God. We'll hear you, we'll speak with you, but if we talk to God, we're going to die. And Moses said to, to, the, uh, to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Can you see the purpose? Because if you've seen Jesus, that would be your last day of sin. You wouldn't even want to deal with it. You, you, you would be on your best behavior every moment if you've really seen him. You, know, you, gotta, you gotta love it when you hear folk, I seen Jesus, I seen Jesus, but they're never on their best behavior. They're always acting up. If, if, you were, if you've really seen Jesus, your whole life transforms.
you're not the same. Your, your life is never the same. The purpose of God's presence is so that way we see here in verse 20 and that his fear may go may be before you so that you may not sin so the people stood afar off but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was why because he's consecrated why could Moses go in and the children of Israel couldn't go in because they weren't consecrated Moses was consecrated you see the fear of God changes the total dimension of your walk with him changes everything because you realize that in your sin he could have wiped you out could have wiped you out and it doesn't take much for God to wipe you out the whole purpose of the fear of God is so that way you would not sin you catch yourself before you sin you simply say nope I'm not going to do that I'm going to obey him I'm going to walk in his ways I'm going to do exactly what he said in his word even to my own hurt. See, never, never deceive yourself into thinking that you're entitled. You know, I got it like that. All, if I sin, all I got to do is confess my sin. Because your word tells us, Father, that if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you see, you begin to forget what is said in the previous verses above. He said, John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he said, he said, my little children, I write to you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In fact, go there to 1 first, first John chapter 2. The whole purpose of the presence of God is to bring you into a place of obedience to his word. That's the that's the whole purpose in that you not sin. Because that is above your needs. The fear of God is above everything. That you not sin. And that's where the problem is. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. You see, we always, we always say, well, see, we have an advocate. We have an, a, a defense attorney. Don't we? Well, look at the Greek word for advocate. It's parakletos, which means intercessor. It also means comforter. The word, it also means summoned, called to one side. So Jesus comes to our side. He comes to one's aid. He comes to one's aid. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? Hold your place there in 1 Timothy, I mean, 1 John chapter 2, and go to Hebrews. He comes to our aid, right? Well, 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 well. Let's, let's, let's do a little study here. What kind of aid? Hmm. 
Go to first, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 14. He, he is our aid, right? That's what it says in first, first John chapter 2, verse 1. It says here in, in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 4 and verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now, now, when you see, let us hold fast our confession, it is speaking of when you are being persecuted, do not withhold your confession about Jesus. That's what this is talking about. This is not talking about you believing God for something. This is talking about your confession of faith when you stand before those who are persecuting you. My, have we perverted the scriptures. But I know some folk won't, don't care. They're going to continue to pervert the scriptures. And that's, that's your choice. But you violate in Proverbs 30 and verse 6. In Proverbs 30 and verse 6 says, Do not add to his words, lest you be found a liar. So this confession is about when you're getting persecuted and they want you to renounce him, but you hold fast your confession by saying the same words that you were taught, the same scriptures that you were taught to, to testify about Jesus, even at the moment of being persecuted. That's, I thought I'd throw that in as a, as a side issue. This verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, you can't say that Jesus doesn't sympathize with you. You can't say he doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know what I feel. Oh, he created you. Don't you think he would know? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You can't tell Jesus you weren't tempted with that. You can't identify with me on that. I've been tempted with that. No, no, no. He's, but scripture says here, he was tempted in all points. He was tempted in all points. There was no sin that Satan did not tempt him with yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, obtain what? Notice that it did not say that we may obtain grace. We come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain, pretend that this is mercy. I'm coming to the throne and this is mercy. I come to obtain mercy. find grace to help in time of need. Remember, remember Paul? We come, we come there to not, not, not just to obtain mercy, but also to find grace at the throne of grace. Remember what happened with Paul. Paul was receiving uh, many trials. It was called Satan buffeting him he, because of the abundance of revelation. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And, and the Lord wanted to make sure that Paul stay humble. And so in, in, in him staying humble, God had to give him the thorn in the flesh. 
And then the Lord told him, for my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul continued by saying, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. So let's say you are walking in obedience, but you're going through something. Well, God has sent that to you so that way you won't get puffed up. Because you know how some of us get. We get puffed up. We get puffed up to the degree that, hey, well, you know, <laughs> I got it like that. No, you don't. You don't got it like that. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, but it's all because of him. So the word, go back to First, first John chapter 2 now. So the word advocate also means one that comes to our aid or call to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, an advocate. So it's more than just that defense attorney that Jesus is. He comes to our aid based on Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. One who pleads another's cause with, an, with one, an intercessor of Christ in his expiation of God's right hand. Excuse me, exaltation, I'm sorry. Exaltation at God's right hand. Pleading with God the Father for the pardon, watch, for the pardon of our sins. For we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. We've studied this out a little bit. And propitiation simply means one that, one that is an expiator. Make atonement. And appeasing. Or the means of appeasing. And he himself is the appeasement for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Go back to uh, uh, Exodus 19. And so God's presence showed up so that way the children of Israel can fear him. The Lord was testing them, not tempting them, but testing them. So that way they would, I'm sorry, uh, uh, we're in uh, Exodus uh, 20, I'm sorry, not Exodus 19, Exodus 20, uh, verse 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us, we will not hear, but let, let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 8.
because I wanted to get get to something real quick before we before we uh, 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 end today. So this is the kind of fear that the Lord wants the children of Israel to walk in, and so this same fear is to be transferred into the New Testament, because the Bible does tell us in Second Corinthians chapter seven verse one, "Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting perfecting holiness." In the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, uh, Deuteronomy 8, look at verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which the Lord has given you. Now we all rejoice over this. And, and sadly in some circles, that's all that, that's concentrated on. But there's no concentration on the requirement for this. In terms of keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. You see, those things are the missing elements or the missing link of faith. Our obedience to observe everything that the Lord commanded us. Oh, we're not in the Old Testament. That's right, we're not in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. <laughs> but just because you're in the New Testament doesn't mean that you get to walk outside of his commandments. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, we do the same. We forget that God delivered us from the clutches of sin. We forget that God translated us from the kingdom of Satan to God's kingdom. We forget that we're no longer a part of darkness but a part of his marvelous light because of him forgiving our sins because we've repented and placed our full faith on Jesus. We forget that and then we try to push God to, we just tell God, gimme, 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 gimme. But we don't want to obey. It's a missing link. We don't want to obey what he told us. But see, look at this. The reason why people go through stuff is because of a lack of obedience. You don't want to obey him in the very basics of his word. But you want to attempt to use a, a self-concocted formula to get God to do something for you? You see, the greatest miracle that God is waiting on you to perform 
is obedience to his word. <laughs> obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herd and your flocks are multiplied. Let me pause and stop here. I mean, you know, for two years, when COVID had hit, for two years, people have stayed home. I was talking with a pastor um, the other day. And, and he had asked me a question. We haven't talked in quite some time, Pastor Ernest Cameron. We haven't talked, we haven't talked in some time. He said, he's, he, he said well, uh, uh, so you're on Zoom? I said, no, we're not on Zoom. I said, after one month, we've been back ever since. He said, he said, there are so many pastors and so many churches that are still closed even today. Because they're all on Zoom. I mean, that one time that the Lord convicted my heart about being on Zoom, that was it. I said, that's it. Oh, you're not safe. I'm in his presence, I'm safe. Well, didn't COVID hit your home? Yeah, it hit. But I'm still safe. I still trust him. I still serve him. You see, he, uh, 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 another pastor said, you see, people got comfortable with Zoom. Did you realize that in the book of Leviticus, I think it is, either Leviticus or Deuteronomy, the Lord required all males, he ain't saying anything about the women. He said the Lord required all males to come to Jerusalem three times out of the year. Every male that's in the land of Israel to come to Jerusalem. It didn't say anything about sickness, disease, plague, whatever. No matter what happens, three times out of the year, all the men are to show up at Jerusalem. You see, people got comfortable. And when pastors start listening to people, you're walking in disobedience. You don't get your orders from people. You get your orders from God. If he say go, you go. If he says be there, you be there. You obey him. No matter how much it takes, you obey him. Oh, it's going to cost me. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. Obedience is supposed to cost you. Including the loss of your life. What did Jesus say? He that loses his life for my sakes shall find it. He that finds his life will lose it. I mean, how many, how many of us have, have reached that point where we're going to obey him even if it's going to cost me? Now watch this, verse 14, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, as another side issue, you always have those people that says, you know, we gotta, we gotta exercise common sense. Well, what about what God said in his word that overrides common sense? What about that? You mean to tell me that common sense overrides God's sense? When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see how he delivered them? Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and my might have, and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Power to get wealth is not about God blasting you at blessings. It's about giving you vigor to go out and work. Because that's what the word power means. It means vigor to work. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You've been listening to our Prevailing Word podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.